Here is the definition of executive presence. It's the qualities of a leader, as seen through the eyes of others, that engage, inspire, align, and move people to act. Today's topic is about executive presence, and I interview Bates Communications expert, Scott Weigert. We're going to talk about what executive presence is and why it matters. Scott will share a three-dimensional model for specifically helping you develop your presence in and out of the boardroom. You're going to learn two facets that most leaders mostly score lower on in the area of executive presence, and it might surprise you. And we're going to invite you to go on an intellectual treasure hunt, share what that is and how it helps you. And you're going to learn about the quality that all leaders in high growth companies have mastered. So whether you're taking on a new executive position, you're trying to build a stronger team, or you're an emerging leader in your organization, you're going to want to listen to today and gain insight around this executive presence, this ability to engage, inspire, and align and move people to act so that you can make a lasting impact on your career, of course, on your company, of course, and especially on the people you lead and the legacy that you leave. So I'm excited to share this information with you today. Let's get started. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there. Welcome to episode number 38. I'm Susie Price. I'm a professional facilitator, consultant, and author, and I'm the producer of this podcast and the owner of Priceless Professional Development, where we have been in business. This is our 14th year. And what we focus on is building energy and commitment and communication in organizations. And we work most specifically with leaders, but we do help teams as well. I'm excited to be with you today about this topic of executive presence. I became certified in an executive presence index tool in May of this year. And one of the people who trained me to become certified is Scott Weigert, the person I'm interviewing. So I'm excited to talk to him and share his information with you. I want to mention a couple of things. and We'll jump to that in his bio here in a minute. I want to mention a couple of other things outside of today's podcast, which is updated website. I mentioned it in episode number 37. Just want to mention again here. So the reason that might matter to you, maybe you can find some materials easier. If you're looking for information, you go to our blog post archives and I've organized those a little better and also have organized the podcast so that you can find them based on topic. So if you go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash blog archives, that's all lowercase in one word forward slash blog archives, then you can click on and find links. So we've written over 500 articles and you'll be able to find the groupings of the podcast based on different topics like leadership or hiring or communication or executive presence, team building, trust. So I want to mention that in case you're interested in some specific topics. Also want to let you know how you can get in touch with us and me. We are on Twitter at Wake Up Eager. We're on Facebook at Wake Up Eager, and I'm on LinkedIn. Be happy to connect with you there. So reach out. 
I also post our client services manager, Shauna, posts on a regular basis on LinkedIn, different episodes of the podcast. So if you see those and you're willing to share or comment so that others can can find the podcast, that would be awesome. We also have a podcast app that is free on the iPhone. And you can also listen to us on Stitcher. If you use an Android, you can find us, but it's the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. And you can find a full directory of all the podcasts at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. So I want to also mention that this podcast is brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook and download with a 30-day trial if you use our link, it's uh, audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce, audibletrial.com slash wake up eager workforce. They've got 150,000 titles. You can listen from your iPhone, your MP3 player, your Kindle. Right now, I am continuing to listen to a great book that I'm going to recommend and actually do a book summary on an article on because it's so relevant. It's so well done. It's a book called The Coaching Habit say less more and change the way you lead forever. And it is awesome. Very simple questions, the way he explains them and the stories he uses. It's, it's a bit humorous and very good examples. And it has helped me sharpen the saw around the questions that I ask and just a good book. So it's great to listen to. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and, you know, traffic and sitting in your car is kind of the life we live here. But even if you're not in a long commute, you can listen to Audible while you're doing errands or working out. It's just a great way to stay inspired and focused on building skills and leveraging strengths. So audibletrial.com slash workforce. And I appreciate that they support podcasts like this. So speaking of podcasts like this, let's get to the show. Episode number 38. You can find the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com slash executive presence. It's all one word pricelessprofessional.com slash executive presence. And we always do all the searching for podcasts by a name that's relevant to the topic. And it's always one word and it's always lowercase. So executive presence is the case for episode number 38. So I want to tell you a little bit about Scott's background. He is the Director of Learning and Development with Bates Communications, and he is a great facilitator and teacher. He did a large part of the certification that I was in, as I mentioned at the start, and he's fun to talk to. You'll see how he's very interesting. He's a curious person in regard to uh, loves to learn and curious about interesting things in the world and knows a lot about a lot of different things, and he's truly an expert on this tool. He's trained hundreds and hundreds of consultants and maybe even thousands of leaders. And so he runs the community of practice over at Bates Communications around executive presence. And he writes a lot of articles and does our webinars for the people who are like me, coaches and consultants who are certified to use Bates tool. So prior to being at Bates in 2011, he spent two decades in the education and private sector. He's all about learning. So he has spent his entire career becoming an expert teacher through helping adult and student learners reach their potential. And he's written five books on everything from, I told you he's interesting, organizational behavior and ice hockey. 
So he was also a project manager and a medical writer for an organization and has taught classes on organizational behavior at Boston University. So he is out of Boston and Boston is where I went to get certified and where Bates Communication, the creator of the Executive Presence Index Survey Tool, that's where they're located or headquartered. So let's get started. Let's go to the podcast and we'll check back in at the end. I know you're going to enjoy it. All right, Scott Weigert, thank you for being here today. Thanks, Susie. Great to be with you here on the show. So appreciate your training of me in the Executive Presence Certification and taking time to connect right now because you're flying to England tomorrow to do a certification and you've got a full plate. So I just appreciate you taking the time before such a busy week to do this. Well, I love to talk to kindred spirits about topics like executive presence and influence and all the things that I know you do so well with your clients, Susie. Oh, well, that's that's always a work in progress, but thank you. <laughs> for all of us, it is. Always a work in progress for all of us because these are eternal skills. But I love how you teach and the stories that you tell and how well-versed you are in a million different topics. and. Part of that might be due to all the travel that you do. So we're going to start out with a fun question. Not only do you travel for work, but you have some interesting travel interests. Tell us about your favorite travel destination. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty improbable one, although it's getting to be a more popular place to go from what I read. And that's the country of Iceland with its northernmost capital in the world, Reykjavik. I've been there four times, starting when I was 23, and most recently, a few years ago, our family of four did a home exchange with a family in the town of Akureyri, which is a small village in northern Iceland. Okay, how did we end up in Iceland, especially when you were 23? (laughs) We have to know that story. I graduated from college and kind of wanted to have a European adventure of some sorts, so I had a work permit in London, and that was kind of challenging, but I managed to get a job and find some ways to keep myself busy and make a little money and explore Europe. But I had a copy of Let's Go Europe, if you remember the old travel guide, which was sort of geared to people my age. And I kept reading about Iceland, and I just kept describing it as being kind of like being on the moon, like being like no other place on Earth. And I happened to see an independent film that had a little footage of it around the same time when I was in London. And I just thought, well, maybe this will be my last destination on a lengthy tour of Europe. So I went there on the way back home and was just enchanted by it. Just amazing as you drive around. You can drive around and see nothing but rocks and and lava for miles and miles, and it gets a bit monotonous. And then all of a sudden, you might see one of the top 10 waterfalls in the world or the most active geyser in the world or some otherworldly beaches with this most beautiful non-tropical beach in the world is up there. So I'd be the first to say, Susie, that it's not for everybody. If coming from Atlanta way, you might find a little chilly up there, not not super (laughs) cold, very rainy. If you're a big fan of shopping, I probably wouldn't put it top of your list. But if you like nature and the outdoors and about as different of a place as you can get within a four and a half hour flight of Boston, I think it's just a great destination. So I love it. Swimming pools, birds, waterfalls, just a lot of nature and just a dearth of people on the roads as well. So it's about the size of Kentucky and only has about 300,000 people in it. So it's really uh, oh. pretty spectacular and different. That is different. What did your family 
think and stay? Were they as enamored with it as you were? <laughs> Probably not <laughs> as enamored as me. Uh, they, I think, yeah. respect and admire the fact and appreciate that the kids appreciate the fact that dad is really into this place. And they found it interesting. Yeah. I don't think they have the drive to go back as frequently. I could be happy to go back each year, but I think they don't love it quite as much as that, but certainly found it very, very interesting. And, and the fact that you could, there's all kinds of outdoor swimming pools was certainly popular with the whole family. Oh, I bet that so. It sounds like, if I was to interpret your description, like you enjoy just how different it is from Boston, or it's just completely different from even other travel destinations. So that's, and the nature part too. Yeah. The first time we went as a family, we went for just three or four days before we did the home exchange and we went to London afterward and they liked it well enough, but we went to the Museum of Natural History as soon as we arrived in London. And my wife's comment was, I feel like everyone we saw in the country of Iceland is in this museum right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so kind of that yeah. culture shock y'all experienced yeah. going to a place where, I mean, the main ring road of Iceland, you can get out of your car right in the middle of the road and go ahead and take a photo because there's not going to be anybody else coming along the way anytime soon. Probably not something you would attempt on a interstate in the Atlanta area, I would imagine. Uh, absolutely not. Yeah, so, yeah, so just a whole different pace, a whole different mode yeah. of life. And living. Yeah, so it's so culturally, and there's a lot of interesting literature and music up that way. But again, I'd be the first to say it's not for everybody. You got to have some really good rain gear. We did a waterfall hike once and it started to pour. And my daughter hates to be uncomfortable and wet, and she just bawled her eyes out coming back from uh, that because she was, she was so miserable happy. getting, getting <laughs> drenched. And the rest of us kind of said, well, you know, what are you going to do? So, yeah, uh, so yeah. it's a little, it can be a little uncomfortable if you're not used to that. And then if you run out of gas in the middle of nowhere, it comes home to you that, gee, if we run out of gas here, there really may be nobody around for 50 miles. Oh, wow. That is different. Yeah. That is different. (laughs) Very cool. So Iceland, everybody's now thinking, huh, never thought of Iceland. (laughs) It's pretty different. I mean, what most people do is the southwest bit with the Golden Circle Tour, well worth doing. But I think the north is really unusual and worth looking into as well. Awesome. So let's share one more fun bit of information because everybody's heard about your interesting background and going to learn about executive presence as we go forward. But what's a funny story your family tells about you? This is a good one because, of course, we're going to talk about executive presence. And as you know, authenticity is a key part of executive presence and telling stories is actually a good thing that leaders need to do. So here's a pretty good story for you, Susie. This one's popular by coworkers too. Our, our president just can't have me tell this story too many times. So many, many years ago now, it was probably 10 or 15 years ago, we got a new kitten and the kitten's strictly an indoor kitten. And my daughter was maybe three or four years old at the time. So people will probably understand that, of course, we were going to defer to our daughter to let her name this new kitten. She thought about this for a few days and this kitten, we kept her in a room and she'd always hide, even in this tiny room. We often couldn't find her very quickly. So my daughter, Hannah, decided to name this kitten Peekaboo. So, okay, cute name, not probably what I would have chosen, but that was fine. <laughs> so Peekaboo, well, I mentioned this to my brother soon afterward. He said, you know, that name is going to get you in trouble sooner or later. I said, well, maybe, but I, I don't see, this is an indoor cat, so it's, it's not going to be a big deal. Well, naturally, maybe a few months later, I get home, and my daughter is just about in tears. She's very upset. Daddy, Daddy, we think Peekaboo maybe got outside. Like, well, how could that happen? And she said, well, there were 
some workman here, a plumber or somebody came and the door was left open for a while and, and we can't find her anywhere. I said, well, did you look everywhere in the house? Because, you know, she can't be hard to find. Yeah, we looked in every room. We can't find her. You have to find her. So I thought, oh, boy. So this is really first. I was just really upset thinking my daughter's upset and what a disaster it's going to be if we can't find this yeah. adorable new kitten. Well, then I start walking the neighborhood. Now, you have to picture this, Susie. It's twilight. So it's getting dark out. We have two elderly sisters <laughs> who live across the street. Exactly. So I'm walking through their yard yelling out, peekaboo, peekaboo, just imagining that they think some pervert is out there and trying to look in their windows or something like that. And they're going to call the police, and I'm going to have to explain why I'm wandering the neighborhood yelling peekaboo. So I went back and forth between being really upset and then just, uh, you know, saying this is just the Hilarious. most ridiculous situation I've been <laughs> in. So went out, got, finally got dark, came back in, no peekaboo. And came back in ready to break the news to my daughter. And as soon as I walked in, she said, Daddy, we found her. She was up in the attic room. She had gotten <laughs> off into a corner of that room. She was here the whole time. I said, oh, great. Great. That's one of our classic uh, sort of moments of humiliation. So we often find yeah. dates that uh, moments of, we could say, uh, the best ideas for stories for leaders wondering are often these kinds of things, awkward moments. Humiliating moments, mistakes, dumb ideas, that's better than your great achievement stories because I think they do humanize you a little bit and show you that maybe you're not your best. Everybody can relate to that. Yes, 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 yes. It's a key, key attribute. As you mentioned, you tied that to authenticity as one of the attributes in the character dimension there. To just share your foibles or your challenges or funny things that you've done that, like you say, don't put you in the best light. Makes you real, relatable. Yep. yep. And it's real. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everybody has stories like that. Yeah, and you can't make stuff back like that up. Is the thing, you know, you have to be either an author or a pathological liar or both to come up yeah. with a story like that. So, uh, <laughs> so those, there's always great raw material. And I, we always say a lot of leaders say I'm not a storyteller, and we say, you know, my colleague Craig Bentley likes to say, you know, if you're breathing, you've got stories. Yeah. You know, probably not a week goes by where you don't have, it could be some minor event. It's just getting used to building that muscle and saying, well, how might this situation lead to some sort of leadership lesson, something about change or something about difficulty, yeah. something about what to do when things go wrong? Maybe I could use that cat story for something like that. You know, how do you deal with a bit of a crisis, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of a yeah. thing, or making sure that you've really exhausted one possibility before you pursue another one, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many ways to tie that. So we'll talk a little bit about storytelling, but let's kick it off first. You are an expert in executive presidents. You are working for the organization that certifies people like me, and you have people on your team who you know do the certification as well as facilitate this program of executive presidents. And you have, from my knowing, the only research-validated, science-validated executive presence survey. So let's kick it off with talking about what is executive presence. So executive presence. So what we did, as you indicate, we came up with this, something called the Executive Presence Index or XPI. And that was a result of us with the help of a team of management psychologists digging into research in a variety of areas, not just psychology and industrial psychology, which, as you know, is just the usual go-to for these kinds of assessments. And we dug into that to figure out what is all the research telling us about in the fields of social action theory, 
in terms of communication, even philosophy and ethics, areas like that. So we looked in all these areas to figure out what is the science telling us about not only what leads to influence, but what's the kind of influence that drives business results. And the definition we landed on, Susie, is that executive presence is the qualities of a leader as seen through the eyes of others that engage, inspire, align, and move people to act. So just to kind of parse that for you for a moment, that as seen through the eyes of others is one thing. In other words, uh, sort of if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, you know, in my view, it probably doesn't make much of a sound or not one that matters at least. So in the same way here, it's the qualities of a leader that show up in the perceptions of others and they have to result in some kind of impact happening. So that's why we talk about engagement, inspiring people, aligning people, and moving them to act. And the act might be to get people to move on embracing change initiative or just being more engaged or driving growth or cutting costs or any number of things. But that's how we define executive presence. And how long has this executive presence index, the EXPI, been in play? How long have you all been using it? I've just yeah. uh, introduced to it this year. Back, but uh, I think it's about three years at this point we've had it. We piloted it with about 100 uh, leaders to make sure it was measuring the things that we thought it would measure. And then we started rolling it out, and now we've had thousands of leaders go through it. And an important distinction is, unlike, say, the Myers-Briggs, which you know I could give to my 17-year-old son if I wanted to, right. the XPI is really geared toward senior leaders or people on the trajectory to get there. So either senior leaders or high-potential leaders. So we've had thousands of people go through it, generally at larger firms, but though some smaller firms as well. And then why care about executive presence? Um, Great question. I know I hear it. I hear it. um, Oh, he just doesn't have the gravitas or, you know, and and people kind of know. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's what drew me to your tool and your research is, okay, here's a way to quantify this thing we're looking for. But let's back up a minute and talk about why does this matter? Yes, we want to align and inspire the team. Do we know that executive presence gets us there? So I think it does in the way that we've defined it. And I think we've perhaps elevated the definition of it, but that's kind of getting ahead of myself. What I would say is, as long as I've been at Bates and probably before that, we'd have many of our clients, again, often Fortune 500 companies or large companies in general, would come to us and I might say, hey, Bates, you know, we have Jill on our team. We think she's terrific. We think she could be a senior leader, but we're not sure if she has that executive presence she needs to be successful at that next level. So we'd say, oh, okay. So what do you mean by that? And they go, well, I don't know, Scott, but I know it when I see it. And as you could imagine, for Jill in that example, that's pretty frustrating. If we just say, go work on that executive presence, or if I say, go work on Gravitas, well, I don't know what what I need to do about that. So we recognize, I'd say about half of our coaching clients were coming to us with this need to work on executive presence, and either nobody could tell us what it meant, or sometimes they would say, well, yeah, Jeff needs to work on executive presence. He really needs to be communicating more of an enterprise-wide view. Or uh, Jane needs to work on executive presence. It's really an issue of attire, but also how she's communicating to her direct reports. So it was a bit like whack-a-mole. When we did get some kind of definition <laughs> yeah, of it, it was yeah, yeah, it would just kind of pop up here. Well, it's a tire. Nope, it's really strategic thinking. Nope, it's really about kind of opening up and sharing who you are as a leader. So we finally thought, well, enough. We need to get down to business here and get some science around this. So 
I think some earlier definitions that people were throwing around, around executive presence, we also found kind of limiting. They would just say it was attire, gravitas, and I don't know, maybe character. And we just thought there's an awful lot more to it. So we really looked, we chose to define executive presence as really a tool of influence. You know, what is it that leaders bring to the table that helps them influence each other? And that's why we think it matters so much. The more senior you get in an organization, as you know, with the leaders you coach, you know, you get promoted because you're an expert in finance or information technology or supply chain or marketing. But the more you rise in the ranks in an organization, the more those technical skills are assumed and they would be considered necessary, but no longer sufficient for your success, which is really why you have to have more tools to your toolbox. Another way to think of it is, you could argue that communication becomes the only tool that a senior leader really has to work with, isn't it? Mm. That if we can't communicate and get work done through others, we really can't do much of anything. So I think that's why understanding all the tools of influence and helping understand what is it within your character, within your substance, sort of the way you go about doing things, and the how. How do you communicate with people in two-way communication in order to get people aligned to get things done, which is how we landed on that three-dimensional model of character, substance, and style. So let's go into that. So with this model and the definition, the three dimensions that we're looking at are, let's talk about each one a little bit, character, substance, and style. People think of style often when they're thinking about executive presence because like, how does somebody look, how they come into the room? And so I'm going to have you dive into each one of those. But style is what you see. Substance is talking about maybe, I guess, their leadership and how they lead, and then... What's the um, content you bring, maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. The content you bring, and then the character is going to be the fundamentals that you can't see necessarily, but people, how they experience you, how much trust they have with you. You give the official, I was just skimming it, I've actually got on my desk laid out those little cards. So when we were at certification, Bates gave us these cards, and it has each dimension, those three dimensions style, substance, and character, and then it has descriptors of what's being measured under each one of those dimensions. But for the moment, so I'm just looking at the cards and kind of reorienting back to our certification process, but talk about each dimension and where you choose to start, maybe pick why you decide to talk about that dimension first. Yeah, this is how you improve. Yeah. Right. You can make a case for starting with style or you can make a a case for starting with character. But I think I'll start with character because that's sort of the the deepest layer and, and, you know, arguably the most important in some ways. So character would be the qualities we develop early in life, usually in our family of origin. And they're the keys to really engaging others and leading them to trust us. And we can also think of character as being fundamental to what our temperament and disposition is. So this is the stuff when I ask people to talk about, you know, why their integrity score is so high or why humility is so high, often people will say things like, well, this has just always been the way I've been, or gee, this is something that was drummed into me at a young age, that you do the things you say you're going to do and you keep your commitments. Not to say that even though those things are developed early in life, not to say we can't have an impact on how people perceive those. So, for example, if you said to me, Susie, you know, gosh, Scott, I'm an introvert, what I would probably guess, and I may or may not be right, is that you would then rate pretty highly in a facet of character called restraint, because introverts are a little bit more ready, aim, shoot, rather than shoot, and then if you miss, just shoot again. Just Introverts really like to think and have a little more processing time. 
So an introvert, for example, would get a high rating on the quality of restraint more often than not, being kind of calm and deliberate, and a lower rating on authenticity because they do hold back. We might be left wondering at times, what are they really thinking or feeling? But in any event, these are qualities that were developed earlier on in life, and then we have to think about, well, what could we do now to maybe make them come across differently? So think character, think temperament and disposition, and think about qualities that are important to building trust. From there, so I was interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, I was just going to say, jump in real quick. What's yeah. so interesting is a reminder, too. So we've got these dimensions, and we've got these what you all call facets or areas underneath yeah. that you just talked about. You're being rated on, you're getting feedback from people on how they perceive you. Yeah. So it's their perception of your character. So what's so great about this tool is you may be intending to be authentic or in the example you just gave with the introvert, or maybe even that's just not your strong suit. And with this feedback, people perceive you as inauthentic, where that's not your intention at all. But with this feedback, now you can build their level of trust with you by realizing, okay, I'm going to work in that specific area. So yeah, that it gets I can very be nuanced. Better influence. Yeah. In that sense. The nice thing is it's not even saying, well, Susie, go work on authenticity. I'd be able to say to a leader, well, with each facet, there's also items within the facets that really right. drills so down. specific areas that you can say, okay, yeah. where did they score me low on authenticity? Well, there's a specific behavior I can go address, right? right? That introvert very frequently would get very high ratings on an item about how sincere they are or that they're not fake or right. phony, but they might get much lower scores on the item. It's not difficult to recognize how he or she really feels about an issue. So that gets that more transparency. People say, oh, I have a low score on, on authenticity. People think I'm a fake. Well, no. In fact, in that very item, they gave That's you a high it. score. Yeah. 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 It may be that you're not, you don't really open up or you don't share your personal experience as much as we talked about with storytelling. So yeah. leaders like this about this because it helps us really drill down and get into, okay, don't worry about this part of it. This is another area. And, it, and it, even more specifically, as you said, you're getting rated not just by yourself, as you do with many assessments, but by your manager, peers, and direct reports. So I might say, so Susie, you know, your manager loves you, your direct reports love you, but hey, it's your peers that are rating you a little lower on this one. So it might be interesting to dig into understanding what might be leading to that perception, regardless of your intent. That's so awesome about this, too. As you said, it's very nuanced, and it's very particular to where you are right now. On top of that, you're always thinking about what's your business context, what are the goals that you're focusing on, what's next for you. So you choose from the feedback what's most important you know, in right. the business context, and you get very specific feedback, which allows you to make very specific course corrections if you choose. Absolutely. Which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it's a lot okay. of fun. So so just to kind of come back to the dimensions for a moment, yes. if character is about early childhood development or early life development, substance is more about adult development, if we're on that path to being a senior leader. And these are qualities that are key to, to building credibility in the eyes of others. So when you think character, you think trust. When you think substance, you think credibility. If you think about your own trajectory or my own trajectory as a leader, Susie, you know, at this point in your career, you've had a lot of experiences. You've gotten to try out different things, and some of them have worked out great. Maybe some other ones didn't work out as well as you hoped. That happens to all of us as well. But you kind of develop over time. You start to recognize patterns. You start to learn from what worked in the past, and you learn to adapt to new situations. And all those kind of qualities add up to substance over time. So 
what you would see is most leaders tend to get much higher ratings in that character mention than they do in substance. Because we're all, as we said earlier in the call, we're all works in progress. We're all still learning. So if a leader gets a lower score in some of those substance facets, such as vision, practical wisdom, and resonance would be three examples, I would say to them, you know, that's not unusual. And there's probably some things we could do to address that. So you said most leaders get, what would you say, a higher score in Character, character of the three dimensions, yeah, character yeah. tends to be higher rated on average. There's exceptions. There's some leaders, yeah. all of their scores in substance are much higher than character. But on average, you'd see things like integrity tends to get rated very high. Humility tends to get rated pretty high. Restraint can be a little tough for leaders in that character dimension. But when yeah. you look at substance, that vision facet in particular is the lowest rated of all 15. And I've actually just written a little article about why that is, because that's an interesting one. There's a lot of reasons why vision is difficult, but there's a lot of things we can do to help leaders have their vision come across more, that combination of strategic thinking and inspiration. So character as a whole, that whole dimension gets rated higher. There's some areas within it that some leaders tend to struggle with. Substance is one that sometimes is not, if you're looking at trends, is not always rated the highest. And one of the areas that people struggle leaders, executives, is sometimes within the dimension of substances about vision, inspiring vision. Is that what you're saying? Of the 15 facets, uh, there's five in each dimension. That would rank number 15 in terms of the mean scores of the thousands of folks who've gone through the assessment. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Resonance is tough for leaders, too. That ability to be not only fully present and attentive, which is hard for all of us in the era of the smartphone, pulling our attention away from the person at hand, but also resonance are how much are we attuned to what the other person is thinking and feeling and wondering versus defaulting to our own thoughts and our own ideas and so forth. So that's one that gets rated a bit lower in folks as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So under substance, sometimes if they're rated lower, resonance and vision can cause people to maybe not getting as much credibility, the part of credibility in your influencing because of those areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then if we look at style, so style, sometimes people get confused because they think style is purely the the great duds that you're wearing. There's an element of that. We have a facet called appearance, where in part we look at, are you wearing level appropriate attire? And we do often recommend leaders work with an executive image consultant if there's opportunities to develop there. And we have somebody we work with here. But there's a lot more to the style dimension than appearance, because think of style as how much do you use two-way communication to get people aligned to drive execution? So again, character, we think of as synonymous with trust. We think of substance giving us insight into credibility. And style is more about execution. How do we get people talking? How do we have dialogue with people? So there's clarity about who's doing what to get things done. There's a sense of who we need to get to the table and who we need to include in having a say in it, that we have regular conversations with folks, and that if there is conflict toward getting things done, that we can feel it's constructive conflict, that you and I can go back and forth and maybe agree on our outcomes and disagree on the means of getting there, but we can sort that out if we're good at the assertiveness facet within that style dimension. If you didn't use your words, if we just said words that everybody would know, execution, credibility, and trust. That's correct. Within the tool, is measured in 15 different areas within those three 
levels. Well, that's so, sort of a, it's rather simple shorthand, but if people find it helpful in getting their heads yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of names and trying to apply what the definition is in Executive Presence Index and, you know, what our perception of it is. So. And the fact of the so, matter, Susie, is as you probably experienced when you went through it yourself, and then as I did when I went through it myself, you know, with all the leaders who go through this, you're always going to find some great news based on who you are, what you're trying to drive, something to feel really good about. Maybe it was that appearance that you really show up looking ready for the game, or maybe it was your interactivity, or, you're, or you're, maybe you are high in vision, which is nice because that's more unusual. But I think everybody who goes through it finds some things to feel good about, and then some other things that maybe give them pause. And we make clear, this assessment is not about fixing leaders who are broken. And there is a tendency of leaders to look at whatever small portion of the glass is not full. And so we have to kind of talk people off the ledge, and we try to yep. focus on strengths first, and then try to not overwhelm people. I always say if I tell you to go work on 15 qualities of executive presence, you might get back into bed and call it a day and curl up in the fetal position and just say, this sounds awfully hard. So we try to narrow it down to maybe two, maybe three facets that we think are going to be most impactful for you to focus on based on your business imperatives, based on the things you're trying to drive. I have a tool that I use just for general leadership. It's not nuanced and as powerful as Executive Presence Index, but it works with people receiving 360 feedback. And there's always the what I call the Sarah response, which shock, anger, resistance, <laughs> and then somewhere there's some acceptance. And it's, you know, even if you have all high scores or all high low scores, everybody goes through that, you know. And there's all, like you said, there's always good news. And there's always things you pause and you think about, but it is that flow of cycling in and out of a little bit of shock, like I didn't really like reading that, and then a little bit of anger, they don't know what they're talking about, and then resistance, well, I don't have to do any of that, I'm the leader. <laughs> and at some point, through facilitation and coaching and time, there's some acceptance of, okay, really, that's really something I want to focus on. You know, nine times yeah, that, out of ten, that's what happens, right? You've seen it more than uh, me since you've been so immersed oh, hey, in it. yeah. But I remember right. you sharing that acronym, and I think that is a helpful one. And, and it kind of, I think what I like about your acronym, too, is it normalizes the response, that we're all human. Yeah. And, hey, you know, I went through all that Sarah response myself, and I'd probably looked at 50 or 60 of these before I even went through it myself. So even going through it doesn't preclude you from going through those stages of kind of swimming in the data a little bit at first. And I'll say to people, okay, you're going to feel this way, but then we want you to start thinking of it as a bit of an intellectual treasure hunt. And we're going to give you some processes to follow. So, you know, if you can get over that initial anger and say, instead of saying, well, why did, who was it who wrote wrote this comment about me? Who gave me, who gave me this one on on restraint? uh, I've got a lot of uh, anger or resistant place, right? (laughs) So if you can get people to kind of work that through, and I often say, well, you might want to Pour a cup of coffee on the weekend or, or open a bottle of wine on a weekend night and just kind of be curious about it. And and often that's yeah. what happens. Once people dig into yeah. it, they'll go, huh, yeah. you know, I rated myself really high in inclusiveness. Why is it that everybody else rated me a good bit lower? And, and I could share a story of like how a leader got to the bottom of that, if that's helpful at some point here, too. Oh, yeah. Why don't you do it now? Yeah. So, yeah, a leader a while ago at a company, probably all your listeners would know, a big telecommunications company that does some work in entertainment as well. There's a woman there. What will I call her? I try to think of a, a name that makes sense. Paula, let's call her. So Paula was really upset because I think she gave herself about a 4.5 out of 5 on the facet of inclusiveness, and everybody else gave her like a 3.8. 
So she was very upset about this. And I won't use the exact language she used about it, but she said, gee, I thought I was good at this, but I guess I'm not very good at it. I'm really bad at it. And she used a worse word than that. I said, well, I wouldn't look at it that way at all. What this says to me is you have the spirit of inclusiveness. And I would say it very well is a strength for you. What we have to try to work together to understand is what might be keeping this strength from showing up in the perceptions of others. So, okay, we dug into it and I had her tell me about a time when maybe she was being at risk of not being seen as inclusive. And what we arrived at, she was very high in a facet we call confidence, which isn't just self-confidence, but as you know from going through the program, it's really more, do you have a a strong sense of decisiveness and a bias to action. And she was very high in that. And what it came down to was she wanted very badly to include people. But if they were slow and kind of dawdling and struggling to get to the quote-unquote right answer, she would then start leaving a bit of a trail of breadcrumbs to kind of show them where they should be getting to to speed up the process. And inevitably, her comments at the end that I reminded her were saying that she could be seen as manipulative, which sounded so negative to her. But then I said, well, what we're describing, do you think there's a chance that tactic of kind of telling people you want to, I want you guys to decide, but then if it doesn't happen within 15 minutes, you're starting to say, well, hey, it's bigger than a bread box. And hey, we're looking for a solution that, what about if we looked at this? And people are starting to go, well, wait a second, you know, you said you wanted my involvement and now you're pretending you want my involvement. You just want us to come to this thing. If you just decided, why did you bother even asking us? Then, of course, then the next reaction is what I call all or nothing thinking. So she's like, so what am I supposed to do, Scott? Just tell them, okay, you guys decide, and I'll just keep my mouth shut while you guys do nothing or don't get it done in the next three weeks. I say, no, you don't do that at all. You find a happy medium, which is to say, hey, everybody, really want to get your input on this. However, we also have a deadline where I need to get back to my boss by noon Friday and say, this is what we're going to do. So from now till Friday, you know, whether it's in a group session or coming to my office, I'm wide open to your ideas or or even in a meeting. I said, you could take a half an hour. Say we're going to take a half an hour to define the problem and admire the problem. Then we're going to take a half an hour to generate alternatives to the problem. And then we're going to take a half an hour to weigh those alternatives. And ultimately, you guys are going to decide on one. But we're going to do all those things within 90 minutes. So you can satisfy your need for speed without getting too involved in it or feel like you're manipulating the results too much. So that was something that she felt that was within her. It wasn't asking her to forget about the fact that she has that need for speed, but she was creating more of a time-bounded inclusiveness where she could include others, but let them know like, hey, you know, this is not going to go on ad infinitum here either. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know if she had success with it? I haven't talked to her since then. I think so. I know she came away from a very excited and she came to a program with us. So she had a chance to work on it some more. I haven't, that was just a few months ago. I haven't had a chance to see how it went, but I've the probably the most gratifying one. I had a woman who was really struggling with restraint. That one we said is harder in the character dimension. And we talked a lot about what triggers her emotionally and how she reacts. And then, uh, the definition, let me just read it real quick. Uh, yeah. Since I have the cards in front of me, displaying a calm disposition characterized by reasonableness and by avoidance of emotional extremes or impulsiveness. So she came to one of our executive presence mastery programs, which you can take the assessment and come to a two-day program. We have them just for women or just for mixed audience. So she came to a mixed audience one. 
And then we do a follow-up call six weeks out. And she said the nicest thing. This is a woman of Indian descent. And she said, Scott, I think it must be Providence or something that sent me to, to this program at this exact moment in my career. Because wouldn't you know, after you and I worked on these things on the phone and after I came to the program and worked on them, I got in a situation where I was bullied by someone in front of a large group while I was facilitating a discussion. And everything we had just talked about, it just kicked in and I just handled it. Somebody was going off and belittling my comments and I didn't get angry. I didn't get emotional. I just started asking them questions. You know, ah. okay, so what, what leads you to say, say this? All the things we had talked about, asking questions, we had talked about generating more light and less heat and, you know, things you can do to buy time when you're feeling triggered to slow things down right. and hold back. Mm-hmm. And the upshot was she handled this guy so well that everybody came to her after the meeting saying, wow, I can't believe that guy was so mean to you. And you just handled it with such class and such distinction. HR got in touch with her to say they had heard this guy was way out of line and they were going to talk to him about it, but that she had been exemplary about it. We had talked about when you retain your restraint and composure, you retain an upper hand actually in power. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what she was able to do. So that's the nice thing about this too, is that You've probably taken assessments in your career, I know I have, where you go, huh, you know, that's really kind of cool to figure out this is my preferred style or type. And gosh, I wonder if I'm ever going to use that for anything. And this is just the opposite where you say, well, huh, you know, there's some interesting results. And we've talked very explicitly about how these relate to me, what I'm going to do about it, why they matter, and what the next steps are going to be. So I think that's one thing that even if leaders come into this a bit skeptical, Susie, and I'm sure you've seen that as well, like, okay, what's the real business impact of this? It it almost can't help but be relevant. So our batting average is pretty high. And a lot of leaders will say, yeah, I was wary coming into it. But boy, you know, I really like this. It felt more personal because it got into things like character and it felt more specific and relevant and actionable. And the other thing is, remember that the difference between this and a lot of other really good assessments that have been around for a long time is that there's an advantage to the fact that this has not been around for a long time. There's a lot of more recent research that's come out since the year 2000 that we're able to build into the model. A lot of these things about authenticity and concern and integrity, there's more recent research that we were able to mine for that. So that's why people often will feel like it captures things that aren't in other assessments because the other assessments were built on research that wasn't around at the time that they were made. So, so I don't want to... world, you know, what, yeah. what people need from their leaders to want to listen to and be influenced by their leaders. Yeah, recent. absolutely. Research. Yeah, things have changed. Yeah. You think of how much more global we are. You know, a lot of stereotypically feminine qualities, I would say, are now getting recognized as more important, that leaders today need to be more collective leaders rather than heroic solo kind of yeah. leaders. So leaders who yeah. can be inclusive, connect people, show that resonance, show that concern, because you're often leading global project teams that kind of form and disband and reform and so forth over time. We really need leaders who can pull people together and fairly quickly and fairly much in the short term versus long term these days. Yeah, and the character piece, the trust, I mean, is such an element of talking about moving faster. You know, when there's low trust, everything slows down. Exactly. Yeah, people tend to poo-poo the character qualities to some degree. Well, of course, we have integrity. That's a given. But as you say, you can think of integrity as a quality that speeds trust. Now, here's some breaking news that you haven't even heard, Susie, even though you came to our program, because I only heard this in the last week or two. We've actually did research, and now that we have so many leaders who've gone through the assessment, 
And we looked right. at leaders who are in companies that are high growth, meaning at least a standard deviation above what you would expect given their industry and the economy. And we looked, compared them to leaders at least a standard deviation below in growth. And we looked at their XPI results to see, are there any facets that really pop in terms of what would be qualities that would explain what leads to being in a high growth company or a high growth leader versus low growth? And you know what the number one facet to explain that was? What? Integrity. So one of the so-called soft facets, people tend to dismiss it as that. We found that integrity, to your point, and I think it'll make sense to you, is one of those qualities. And we don't have all the answers as to why that is, but five of the six items integrity were highly correlated with a high degree of statistical significance to leaders working in high growth companies. So all leaders who have integrity tend to have pretty high scores, but the ones at the highest growth companies tend to have really sky high scores. Wow. So here's the official definition, acting with fidelity to one's values and beliefs, living up to high standards of morality, veracity, and promise keeping. When we say integrity, we often think of the first part you said, that kind of moral integrity, but there's also that behavioral integrity. And that turns out to matter too for these leaders is, do you do the things you say you're going to do? You could be a very honest person, but if you're forever promising things because you're so good-hearted and good-spirited, you love to promise things, but you don't follow through, maybe you cancel your one-on-ones or you just don't get things done, that tends to erode trust as well. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yep, yep. That's some great research. It makes a lot of sense. I'm always so aware of trust and because you can see it everywhere. As soon as you start looking at, okay, where is their high trust? From personal relationships to professional relationships to clients to stores and businesses, you know, so if I trust you, the transaction is so quick and easy and fast. And if there's low trust, everything's bogged down. One consultant I respect a lot says he believes that a lack of trust is the only real objection. If you can't close a deal or you can't get somebody to do something. And we said, uh, you know, well, oh, there's plenty of other objections. He said, okay, what are some other ones? We said, well, budget. He said, well, companies always have budget. Whether or not they want to give it to you is another thing, but that's not really an objection. He said, in his view, unless you're dealing with a substantial company of decent size, they have budget. It's just a matter of do they trust you enough and believe the fact that you can deliver something to them that will help them move the needle in a way that matters to them. Right. Right. Fascinating. You talked about focusing on, and this is, I wanted to go back to this because I talk about it a lot on uh, different podcasts that I've done and with clients, two things that is a focus of debriefing and your interaction with people who have completed this assessment is very much in alignment around focusing on strengths is the first yep. one, making sure that we don't lose track of the strengths. And often that's because, one, that's what got them where they are. Two, oftentimes we can have an overstrength or what I like to call a blind spot. We overdo that one. And you kind of mentioned that when you talked about the introvert having maybe more restraint, so an overstrength that sometimes would cause her to be less than transparent, you know. So, yep, um, that's a good example. So. Yep. You're a fan of focusing on strengths. You're going to look at the development opportunities, but just talk for yeah, a moment or two yeah. about Yeah, strength. I would say I'm not – my only caveat would be I'm a little wary of some assessments that want to exclusively focus on strengths and say, you know, you're just wonderful exactly the way you are. It's just kind of a matter of finding the right context for you to shine in. Well, there's something to be said for that. But on the other hand, I think we all have stuff we can work on. And one person who came to the program, as you did, said, you know, you at least want to be sort of responsibly average in all these qualities at the minimum, for one thing. 
But, you know, as to your point, philosophically, yeah, there is that human nature tendency to want to dive in. And, and leaders have this in spades, right? Let's fix yes. the problems. Let's High focus on solving the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had a client who said, you know, his son got three A's and a C plus on his report card. So he sat down and immediately said, okay, well, what's going on with the C plus? And then only later he realized, gosh, why didn't I start by saying, hey, you've got these three A's. And that's yeah. great. Yeah, that's great. And, and what are you doing in the ones where you're getting A's that maybe we could translate over to the one that's getting a C plus? So that's a little more of our mentality. More of a balance. I mean, some of the Gallup research talks about the three to one ratio, you know, so if you give yeah. some balance. You know, three pauses, yeah. everyone course correction. It allows people to, because where your strength is, you might overdo that. That becomes your course correction. That's one thing. And two, it just keeps people functioning where they already are strong and they don't lose track of that. When you talked about that Sarah response, so often by the time we're on our second call with a leader, they're in a better place with that, but not always. So that's one thing it does. If they're still in that kind of anger and resistance phase, just the fact that I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, we call it talking leader off the ledge a little bit to say, okay, you know, oh, I'm so worked up about this. Okay, we'll talk about that down the road there, Tom. But first off, let's talk about your strengths and let's tether them to the things you need to drive. I and mean, when we agreed that you need to show up as a trusted advisor and strategic partner and wow, look at all these strengths you have in the character dimension. These are going to really serve you well with that trust. And then I might remind them of the definitions as you've been doing for us as we've gone along. My secret sauce a little bit is if there's a strength that I think is either a potential overstrength and or it's one I think we could maybe leverage, I might say to you, so Susie, tell me about this strength you have and concern. Kind of just tell me how this shows up for you as a leader. And often leaders in talking about that quality will give me some hints either as to how it might be an overstrength or how we might be able to tap their natural strength. Like one example, I had a, a person like yourself, an independent coach who went through this process. And one of my bits of feedback to her was, you know, you really need to be shown as more of a thought leader. Like you're doing all these great things with thought leadership in your practice, Susie, but she was not. And I said, you know, if I were you, I'd have a blog or webinars or something. And she goes, oh yeah, blog. I've been meaning to do that for a while. And I said, yeah, you've been meaning to do it. But you're so high in concern and resonance that you're worried about everybody else except yourself. You know, your, your overstrength uh, is like yep. concern and resonance. But then I said earlier, I asked you to talk about integrity. I said, how does integrity show up for you? You said, oh, well, if I tell you I'm going to do something, Scott, by gosh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to honor that commitment. That's like a core of who I am. How about this, Ursula? I'll call her that. How about yeah. this, Ursula? If you promise your client base and your, all your email lists that you're going to have a blog on your website on August 1st, she kind of went, uh, <laughs> uh, then I would really have to do it. I was like, exactly. Yeah. So I don't often tell people that's what I'm doing at that point. The idea is I wanted to make that thing that she should do, make something A, feel like it's within her to do that. And B, right. that it's almost would be internally inconsistent with who you are and how you see yourself if you don't do that. You know, all of our development goals for all of us, they kind of feel like Mount Everest. And what I want to make them feel is like a staircase you know, or, a, or a little hill to climb. So by focusing on how we can look at our development themes, which naturally, you know, maybe for you, the one that seems really hard to you is easy for me and vice versa. What we have to do is, how can we change, like with that introvert example we'll go back to, so what can we do to, if I really don't like being in the limelight, and I don't like talking about myself, 
what can I do to make that more palatable for myself and make it feel like something that makes a lot of sense for me to do? People say, oh, that's another that all or nothing thinking. People will say, oh, Scott, what you're saying is I have to spill my guts and share my most painful childhood memory. Like, uh, yeah. no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if you want to, I mean, at your own yeah. peril, I guess you could. But, you yeah. know, the one woman I said that to, I said, you know, you told me about how much you learned about your strength and humility from earlier in your career and how powerful that was. I said, do you ever tell stories about that? And she said, uh, no, I, I, I don't. And I said, would that be uncomfortable? She said, no. And I said, well, what about sharing some dumb ideas you had in that job or mistakes you made? I mean, that's consistent with your high humility. She's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've got plenty of those. I'd be happy to talk about that. So I said, well, there you go. Because she was thinking she had to open up or she's like, oh, yeah, people I work with, they want to talk about trips to the hairdresser. And I hate that stuff. But maybe I should suck it up and start doing that. And I said, I wouldn't. I think it is kind of stupid. I think it's harmless, but it's not really uh, giving any great insight into you. So. So don't talk about that stuff that's uncomfortable for you. Let's try to make sure you see that it's within you to share something of yourself, but you can be selective about it and take your time and plan it out in advance. And what that comes back to, again, is this interest in strengths. You know, So you're leveraging strengths, things that you're naturally good at, one, so you can claim it, and then two, that you can use that to build in an area that's going to help you build others' perceptions of you as a leader. Absolutely, which is one way we... So it's powerful. That's one way we tackle that vision one, which I told you is so hard for people. And and the common complaint you get is, I'm just not visionary. I'm not a great idea person. I just can't do it. And then I'll say, well, you know, you're really high in inclusiveness. You're really high in resonance and humility. You're great at reaching out to other people. Any reason you couldn't go on a 30-day vision listening tour and kind of see what everybody else thinks, what would be exciting to them, what would be inspiring to them. Then you can kind of synthesize it and play it back to people. And you can give credit where it's due because I know you're the kind of person who'd want to do that. And people will say, yeah, I think I can do that. So it's also getting people. Yeah. Yeah, You're kind of reframing it. You're reframing the problem, you know, because that's the other thing you'll hear with vision. You know, oh, well, that's not really my job, Scott. I'm a director of marketing. I'm not the CEO, you know. Like, well, yeah, look at the items of vision. You still have to take daunting goals and make them seem realistic, exciting, and attainable, right? So people will confuse the big picture course of the whole ocean liner of the company with what they need to do to get people jazzed about things they need to do. So that's part of it. So it's reframing the problem and also reframing, you know, using your strengths and reframing how you think of the solutions as well. So that's what makes it so exciting is to be able to move the needle for leaders on that really within an hour often on the first call. Because it's so detailed. I mean, my report is so detailed and it was so helpful and and it. You know, being a recipient or receiver of this is so good. You should always experience the tools that you're using and do it on a regular basis so you can remember how it feels and, you know, stay in touch with the sensitivity of it and the importance of it and what works and what doesn't work for people and the being present and all of that. But one of the things that I often talk about is, you know, let's not do 50 things. Let's do one or two things right now. And exactly. just be, be happy with that. And so you, you mentioned that earlier, and it really helped me when I was going through this. And it was I was so pleased, again, such so much alignment with you and Bates around how you do your work. And this process is the one or two items because leaders try to just mix it up and take everything on, and then nothing happens. Right. And a colleague of mine, Elizabeth Friedman, she on the side has done a lot of personal training for people. She's like a gym rat and helps people oh, in the yeah. gym. 
And the way yeah. she put it to me is, you know, no one's excited to go lose 20 pounds, right? That just sounds overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and yeah. especially as you get older, it just seems like that's never going to happen. Well, that's making the Mount Everest goal. So you have to make micro goals. So she might say to a client, okay, we're going to get excited about trying to lose one pound. Or we're going to try to get excited about going grocery shopping and buying a lot of vegetables instead of a lot of the stuff we've been buying instead. So can you just change some little things? I followed her own advice a year ago. I thought, I want to get in better shape. And you know, my wife and I were like, you know, in our 50s, and we start to feel like it's hard to lose weight. And I said, well, okay, let's set out a goal to not gain any weight. <laughs> you know, let's start with yeah, that's that. That's a good goal. That's a good start. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You know, what are we going to do to make sure we don't gain weight? Well, we joined a gym and we agreed we'd go a certain number of days per week for a certain number of minutes per day. And, you know, I said, okay, I love my wine and my beer, but I can like eliminate a few nights a week of doing that. And just those things alone, sometimes it'd be a no gain, no loss. Other times it'd be a pound. Other times it'd be a couple pounds. And, you know, you go six months out, I'd lost 15 pounds. So that was pretty good. Ah. I love that. See, yeah. So, yeah, that's my thing. I always say 1% a day, and in 70 days, you're twice improved. You know, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that quote of yours. Yeah. I stole that from somebody else, so I don't get to put my <laughs> name on it. But I say it all the time, and I don't know where I got it. But well, um, I got it from you, so that's good okay, enough for so me. Okay, there we go. Yeah, and I stole it from someone. I'm kind of a, a hard charger myself on myself and on the things in the business. And, and, but I'm also also very tied to being you know as in the flow and in alignment and happy, which sounds soft, but I don't care. That's you know the, you know <laughs> happy with my life, happy with my work, happy with my clients. And so, you know, that's in conflict, but that whole concept of reminding myself 1% a day and in 70 days you're twice improved is such a soothing, calming yeah, element. Yeah, a nice little mantra, yeah. Yeah, yeah or my thing so, is like, you know, as you mentioned, I'm going to England tomorrow and I did a big 17-day tour of Europe delivering a lot of programs solo. And my mantra there was, if you can walk in feeling physically and mentally great, everything else is going to fall into place. Because it's all content I know. It's all stuff I enjoy. It's just like, what do you need to do in terms of self-care sometimes? So in terms of your happiness, if you're not happy, you should think of that as a barometer and say, you know, I got to do something about this. You know, or short term, you might have a tough day. You might have an unhappy day. But if that's a trend, you need to say, well, what variables do I need to kind of manipulate here a bit so I can bring my best self to work? Because that's the other thing I like to say, and I think this is my own quote. Maybe I accidentally stole it. You know, you're only as good as your last night of sleep. So uh, the, yep. the goals that can often seem pretty reasonable, if you've had a bad night of sleep or if you're stressed or, or really taking on too much, all of a sudden you take a perfectly you know, nice hurdle and you turn it into like the Great Wall to climb over. So Yeah. And it, to me, that all ties to executive presence. It's not specifically measured here, but it shows up in each of these dimensions with the executive presence. If you want to influence people, you know, you take where you are everywhere you go. And so who you are radiates out and who you are yeah. isn't what you say. It's how you be. And, and you know, maybe it's, you know, I'm sure it, I know it's measured in composure. I'm just looking at some of these attributes. Well, you know, I can tell you and, just last week, you know. uh, Susie, I was down in Florida doing a two day program with, I think it was 11 leaders who all taken the assessment. So we do a time and energy management module, which is something you didn't get a chance to see at certification, but we do it with business leaders a lot. So one thing I do is I have a big laminated model up on the wall and I give everybody a post-it note and they write their name on it. And I say, okay, look at these 15 facets. When you're not at your best in terms of managing your time and energy, which one of the facets do you think suffers the most? 
so oh, we all included perfect yeah yeah so then we all slapped our post-it notes up there and you wouldn't be surprised to hear we probably had representation of about eight or ten of the facets or at least oh, seven perfect. or eight out of the 15 yeah. so you know yeah. Some wouldn't surprise you, restraint and composure. You know, you're get a little uh, more tightly wound, more likely to show frustration. But for me, I put interactivity. Now, interactivity for me is a strength, but for some people, you have a strength that evaporates under pressure. So for me, I, I really like in my office to go around and talk to people and have great back and forth. But if I'm under the gun, I tend to pull up my office and people come in. I'm like, oh, I really don't want to talk to you right now. Um, <laughs> of time. So that, yeah. 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 So, so but for oh, somebody else, that. they might pick appearance. Oh, you know, that I'm usually prepared yeah. and I and I'm kind of look the part, but I start looking frazzled when I'm not together. Or vision. You know, when I'm usually pretty good at vision, or I'm not so good at vision, it gets even worse. It really goes out the window when I'm not managing my time and energy. So, so all the stuff in this model is at risk when we're not taking care of ourselves. So it's certainly not just soft feel-good kind of stuff. It's stuff that really can make all the difference in helping and hindering us as we look to have influence in others. And so for leaders, it ties into what we were just talking about, taking care of yourself, but also as you go through this assessment and your survey or index and you get your results, picking the one or two areas will help you, um, you know, not gain weight. <laughs> to tie it to what you shared, right. you help you well, reach your goals to, quicker, you know. Well, or, one way to think of it is, is, is they're all tethered or a lot of them are tethered together. So you heard us talk yeah. about this in certification. So let's say we decided... If I just said to you, I want you to work on restraint, we'll stick with that one. Let's say that's something you say I want to get better at. I might say to you, well, Susie, the nice thing, if you can work on restraint, so just work on being more deliberate and slowing down, well, guess what? You're going to create more time for your resonance to be attuned to others. You're going to slow down enough so you won't have that overstrength and confidence so much. You'll inevitably be creating more room to be inclusive of others, for example. And that might create more room for humility if you're slowing down. So that's the other thing is if we focus on making one boat in the harbor rise higher, we're probably going to make at least two or three others rise along with it, which is another reason why we want to just focus on one or two. Because they all interact. And there's a couple that when I was debriefing from our training session and kind of getting all my thoughts together around the knowledge around this, there are a couple that they probably all interact, but there are a couple that were most related to the other facets. Mm-hmm. And what I counted, and you can tell me if it's correct or not, the interactivity facet was related to nine other areas. So having a interpersonal style and exchange of information with people seemed to impact a lot of the other dimensions or care yeah. facets. There's a few like that. That's a good example. Like if a leader's interactivity was not even the very lowest, but it was kind of low, I might start with that one. Because if you think about it, if you don't have interactivity, which again is that two-way back and forth quantity and quality of two-way communication. So if you don't have a lot of that, it's going to be hard for me to notice your practical wisdom, isn't it? Or even if you're very authentic, if I'm not in touch with you on a regular basis, I might not really appreciate that. Or you're not giving me as many opportunities for you to show that resonance or to show that inclusiveness. So that can be a good starting point sometimes. If we have a gap in our quantity and quality of two-way communication, we're going to impede a lot of the other ones. On the other hand, if we can improve that, it's just like reps, as you say in weightlifting. You know, you get more reps, you get more opportunities in front of people, and they're going to see more of these other qualities come across. So that's that's a really good example of one that's, that's correlated with others. But there's several that work that way. It is a fascinating tool, and I'm so excited to share it 
with folks, and I'd appreciate your training of me and your willingness to be on this call today to talk about it. You're obviously an expert and passionate about the subject, so you're a great guest. So as we kind of work towards a close here, let me ask you a Scott question, but it's related to executive (laughs) presence. And it's, if you could put one billboard anywhere with anything on it related to executive presence, what would it be? Where would it be? What would it say? That's a good one. I might say that never forget that executive presence is in the eye of the beholder. And I think I might put that in the kitchen of every corporate Fortune 500 or every large firm. You just remember that. In other words, your executive presence, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's really how other people perceive you. Or another one you could say is every time you interact with someone, you're making a deposit or withdrawal into your executive presence bank account is a way to think of it. So we all have these opportunities. Every time we have an interaction with each other, people are going to be perceiving us. If I interact with you, Susie, I'm not going to be saying, okay, well, how's Susie's executive presence today? But on some unconscious or subconscious level, we're always appraising each other. We're always drawing away inferences. And we want to build that bank account and recognize that if we're always focusing on what we can do to come across well in the eyes of others, that's going to help us get more out of ourselves and get more out of them as well. I gave you maybe two for the price of one, but uh, like it. But I think that's two. the main thing, and that's why I think the multi-rater aspect is so important. You know, you, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how authentic you think you are if other people aren't experiencing you that way. And that's often the most powerful thing. People get very hung up on, "Gee, I had a three point nine five, and I wish I had a four point three. A lot more interesting to me is, is there alignment between how you see yourself and how other people see you? Because if there is, then that's going to be powerful. If there's a big gap, including a gap, we often see happy blind spots where maybe you rated yourself really low in vision. Everybody else is like, wow, you are so inspiring. Well, maybe we can liberate you from that anxiety and say, hey, focus on something else where you could move the needle a bit more. So I think understanding that how we see ourselves is is often at odds. And more often than not, there will be some gaps between how you see yourself and how others see you. So if you're going to change that, you can't change that without building awareness first. So that's why I say, remember, it's in the eye of the beholder. Your intentions don't matter if they aren't coming across in the perceptions of others. Huge self-awareness project. And then from there, it gives you the tools to self-manage. Exactly. Exactly. That's where it starts. It's not where it ends. It's a work in progress. Rome's not built in a day. So, you know, we we get a lot out of that hour, but ideally we follow up with a program or coaching and continue because over, as you know, if you really want meaningful, lasting change to happen, that's one of my big frustrations, I would say. I guess a last plea to people would, maybe this would be a third billboard you could put up, is remember, it's not a quick fix. Companies will call us up and say, oh, we hear you have this wonderful stuff in executive presence. Can you help us? We say, sure. And they say, yeah, could you come in and do a one-hour lunch and learn with our leadership team? Say, well, I guess we could, but I'm not sure what the point would be of that. I mean, I guess we could teach you a little bit about what it actually is. You're not going to come out of that feeling like, okay, now I get it. I know what I need to do. Morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's an investment of time and energy. You need to find out. You need to go through a process. You need to have some science to it. Just reading a little bit about it, it's like kind of giving a menu to a starving man. It's not going to ultimately do something. Yeah. It's a process and an experience and the 1% a day and 
all yeah. of that we've talked about. And ideally working with someone like yourself as well, you know, working with a coach over time who can keep your eyes on the prize and, and make sure we're looking at new opportunities all the time to say, okay, you know, you're unhappy with your practical wisdom score. Here we go. Here's a chance. Your boss is pushing this assignment down to you. You're unhappy with your boss pushing it to you. Maybe you should embrace it. Maybe this is a chance to show that you can deliver some real insight. Mm, Yep. Two final questions. Talk to your 25-year-old or 30-year-old self, and what would you tell little Scott or young Scott, I guess he was a young adult at that point, what would you tell young Scott about executive presence and leadership? What would you want him to know? Based on well, what this you is interesting. Today? What I'll do is tell you a story about my son, who's 17, because mm, it's I think, close enough that it will it will read. I wrote a blog about this. His name's Tim, and he's quite introverted and very self-critical. Last year, he said, you know, Dad, I just feel like I'm not good at anything. You know, or I'm good at running. You know, he's a cross-country runner, a distance runner. So I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I really have anything that valuable. And so I pulled out the model for him and said, you know what? Let me walk you through this character dimension. And I described the five qualities of a character, which are authenticity, integrity, concern, restraint, and humility. And I described them to him. And I said, what do you think of those? He's like, wow, I, I feel like all those things describe me. You know, I'm somebody who's genuine. I'm, I try to do the right thing. I care about people. You know, I'm definitely pretty careful in what I say and do, and I'm pretty humble. I was like, yeah, so you have to realize there's power in what you know, but there's also a lot of power in who you are. Mm. And never forget that, because who you are is, is one of the most important ways to influence others and make things happen. He said, wow, I'm going to go upstairs and write that down in my diary, because that's really exciting. <laughs> so I guess oh, that's what I would say beautiful. to my younger that self. That's yeah. beautiful. That is well, beautiful. it's true for all of us. We tend to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I keep my promises. That stuff really does matter. So I think probably remind myself that for better or worse for all of us, that that character is more defining. And what we know is a movable feast, right? How much we know and the experience, we can change that. Who you are, the flip side of that, who you are is a harder thing to change. But if you've got that, you've got what I call the hard-earned aspects of executive presence. So I think I'd want to reassure my young self that, you know what, things are going to work out fine. You may feel like you don't know a heck of a lot, and I really didn't know a heck of a lot at 25. If you bring that character to the table and you keep trying to learn, you appreciate the fact that this other stuff's going to happen for you, it's going to work out well in the long run. Awesome. Last question. And you've given so much advice or wisdom, so feel free to repeat anything you said. But what's your last bit of advice or wisdom that you'd like every leader listening to this, to take away and to remember about executive presence. Don't forget, there's a lot of great reasons that have made you as successful as you are to date. And you should, by all means, get clarity on what they are and bask in them a little bit. And by the same token, the other side of the coin is there's going to be other tools. If you think of the the executive presence as a 15-tool toolbox, I can promise you there's a few tools in that toolbox that could be stronger for you. And as successful as you've been and how much you're liked and trusted and you've gotten this far in your career, the more you want to rise up in the organization, the more it becomes a matter of incremental improvement. So even improving a little bit in some of these areas that maybe aren't natural strengths for you 
could make the difference between you being a vice president and a senior vice president or an executive vice president and somebody in the C-suite. So never lose sight of the fact that we're all a work in progress. We all have strengths we can build on. We all have things we could get better at. And if you can be a little courageous to be willing to find out what people really, really think about what you're doing well and what you could be doing better, to me, you're on the track to being all the leader you could be. And it's really, it's big part is the next level, but it also is the legacy that they leave. I mean, I think of a chairman who is very successful, but his legacy changed when he decided to leave a legacy, you know, and started focusing there. And the things that we're measuring are things that do that. Yeah. So another metaphor I use like that is, I think probably everybody listening knows the movie Back to the Future. So I sometimes will say to leaders, you know, if we could jump in that DeLorean time machine and go a year out or two years out or whatever time horizon you want to look at as we think about legacy and all, what would we want to have looked different about you? What would you like to be able to envision about yourself? Is it that you want to be seen as a little more in touch with what others care about? Do you want to be that much more engaging and inspiring or that someone who just feels that much more confident and comfortable on a big stage? Is it that one-on-one meetings where you want to feel like you can talk about tough things and not have it destroy the relationship? Whatever it is, think about where you want to be. And then as we've talked about work backwards, what's something you can do in the next week or two, whether on your own or with the help of a mentor at work or an accountability partner who's a colleague or a friend or a coach, someone like yourself? Well, this has been awesome. You've shared so many pearls of wisdom, and I can't wait to share it with folks. And I just appreciate you taking the time, and thank you for all the training and the writing that you do. And just thanks for being a part of the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast. Well, it's a pleasure, Susie. I really am a big fan of yours, and I think it's great at how you're accruing all this experience and knowledge, and then you go out and share it with your audiences. So we're just kind of passing it along, and that's a really good feeling. So I'm really pleased to hear that. You'll be sharing it with people, and I'm a big Susie Price fan and really looking forward to hearing more about you and how you continue to grow in in your practice and how you continue to do such great things for for all the leaders that you support. Awesome. And the good goes round and round. Absolutely. That's how we like it. Okay. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. I liked his closing billboard, and it's a great summary for, I liked so much of what he shared story about encouraging his son. And that's a beautiful story. But here's a couple closing comments around what he said on his billboard is never forget that executive presence is in the eyes of the beholder. So the idea there is just remembering that we can have good intentions, but if that's not how it's being received, we need to be open to feedback. Whether you do something like the executive presence index tool or whether you just listen and ask people, have how's it going meetings and create an environment where people will really tell you what they really think. Because as Scott said so well, every time you interact with someone, you're making a deposit or withdrawal into your executive presence bank account with them. And his words, these are his words, and I'm echoing them. Your intentions don't matter if they're not coming across to the perception of others. So when influencing is your job, so the higher you go up in an organization, that's why executive presence matters. When influencing is your job, how you show up, your character, your substance, your style, how you execute your credibility and your trust or other ways to say those three dimensions, everything you do, your behaviors are magnified tenfold. 
So the power of a tool like this is to get insights into others' perceptions. You know what your intentions are, but are they coming across? And the big takeaway and aha and excitement for me about having this tool is that presence and influence can be measured. It matters to measure it, especially the higher up you go, so that you know what's getting in the way of making the difference in the business and in how you influence others. So again, to recap a couple more things, the three areas, the three dimensions that we measure are character, substance, and style. And you can say it another way, the style part is execution, the substance is your credibility, and your character is your trust. The dimensions within there, I've got a handout PDF that lists the definitions of the different facets that we talked about. So that is available in the show notes. If you go to pricelessprofessional.com slash executive presence, you will see the show notes. Or if you're listening to this podcast on your iPhone, you can tap the app and the show notes should show up right there. And so you'll see definitions of these and you'll see an actual PDF that you can open up that will give you an explanation of of those areas and list them out. And I'm also going to provide in the show notes, you'll see their definition of vision and resonance and an article about overstrengths. I call them blind spots. They call them an overstrength. Same thing. It's using your strength so much that it becomes a blind spot or something that causes you to stub your toe. So all of that will be in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com executive presence. I want to remind you that for you, a listener of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, that Audible has a free audio book and download with a free 30-day trial to give you an opportunity to check out their service. And so I recommend Suzanne Bates, the owner and founder of Bates Communications, and the people who certified me in the executive presence has a great book called All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence by Suzanne Bates. That is on audible.com. So you can download that by going to audibletrial.com slash wakeupeagerworkforce, audibletrial.com slash Wake Up Eager Workforce. So you can listen to her book and you can learn more about executive presence and get more information about what we talked about, these three dimensions and these 15 facets of these areas. And you can also reach out to me if you would like more information about the executive presence index tool. And I have some information on my website. If you want to look that up, Now that my website's better organized, you can probably easily find it if you go to the coaching tab, but you can also find it here at pricelessprofessional.com coaching presence. So coaching presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, coaching presence. If you type that in, you'll go straight to some information about this tool. Happy to have had Scott on the podcast today. Happy to have you tuning in. If you have thoughts, comments, or suggestions, send me a note, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com. On our website, we have a pricelessprofessional.com slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. You can send me notes, comments, or suggestions. I look forward to our next episode. I'm going to do some more on executive presence. So episode number 39 will be coming up in a few weeks, and uh, you'll get some more information about this idea of influence and your behaviors and making sure that how you're being perceived is what you intend is being perceived the way that's going to make a difference and work for your benefit and for the company's benefit. So look forward to the next time we connect. Until then, 
continue to focus on waking up eager. Talk to you soon. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 